It was so formative that I can't think about doing what I'm doing without operating on the foundation of that understanding. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, I happen to know the story of how IEW was started all those many years ago and some of the foundation that was laid before you even got this idea of starting an institute for excellence in writing. And, of course, I know the story because I've worked with you now going on 14 years. Wow. I know. So I thought it would be helpful to our listeners to hear a little bit of your educational journey, and specifically spending some time talking about your, at your time when you were learning about child brain development Mm -hmm. and how much that has informed how we do things at the Institute for Excellence in Writing. Yeah. It is interesting to go back and look at all the factors. Um, You know, my early adulthood was marked by frequent changes. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of just went from one thing that interested me to another thing that interested me to another thing, most of which didn't pay anything. And uh, I think I frustrated my father a bit, hmm. who, whose idea was, look, you go to school, you learn something well, and then you work. And that's how you get established. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't doing any of that. Mm-hmm. But I did find myself living in Japan at the age of 22, 22 to 25. And um, I studied with Dr. Shinichi Suzuki, the founder of Suzuki Method, as we call it here in the West, or Saino Kyoiku in Japanese. And I was, um, you know, intent upon completing my training so that I would then be qualified to come back to the States and hang out my Suzuki violin teacher shingle. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, a very interesting side trip occurred before that, and it had to do with contacting Glenn Doman and the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential. And the way this happened was rather odd. I was uh, in Japan living there in Matsumoto at the school, and one of my schoolmates was a perfectly bilingual Japanese American girl Mm -hmm. from Kentucky, if I recall. Mm -hmm. And uh, she did uh, a bit of translation for Dr. Suzuki, things that were English and needed to be in Japanese for his teachers and vice versa. And so she uh, actually made available to those of us who were interested some of these interviews that were um, transcribed and translated. One of them was with Dr. Toru Kumon, the mm-hmm. founder of the Kumon 
uh, method. Uh, you see Kumon centers all over the world for right. math. And right. We, we should talk about Kumon sometime here on our podcast because I know that that's something that was a part of your education for your children as it was mine as well. So. Yeah, and, and Dr. Kumon and Dr. Suzuki, both being Japanese, had, had a marvelous conversation about, you mm-hmm. know, what is learning mm-hmm. and the similarities of their approach to the methodology of teaching a cumulative subject mm-hmm. for mastery approach. Right. Uh, but another one was an interview that had uh, happened actually kind of on paper, been translated one way and then the other way and back and forth. So it's more like a correspondence. But it was with uh, Dr. Glenn Doman and the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential. And uh, so I read that, and I was just amazed with the insight uh, that that was there. And I also learned, which I did not know, that they have a school. They had, I don't know if they still do or not, but mm-hmm. at that time they had a school attached with the Institutes, and they taught all the children in the school violin. Oh, interesting. By Suzuki Method. Oh, wow. And so there was this close connection. And uh, so I ordered uh, the book, What to Do About Your Brain Injured Child by Glenn Doman, and got it in English and read it. And I was still in Japan, you know, finishing up my last months there. And I read it and I just, I thought, wow, this is the most amazing thing. And um, I wrote to them. And I said, well, I'm finishing up at, you know, Suzuki School in Matsumoto, and I'm very interested in what you do. Is there a chance you need a violin teacher? Uh, Because I would love to work for you. And uh, Janet Doman, Glenn's daughter, who she was the director of the Institutes at the time, she wrote back and said, well, we don't really need a violin teacher, but we're always interested in young people who are interested in what we're doing. We're going to have a team uh, of people seeing kids in Tokyo um, in so many months or whatever, um, you're welcome to come and observe what we do. And uh, so I did. So I, and, and they were incredibly generous, put me up in the hotel where they were working, put me to work doing some minor interpreting on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly I was just observing how the staff members would conduct you know, their evaluations and diagnoses and then writing the programs and teaching those programs of treatment to the parents. And it just blew my world away. Mm -hmm. And I I left that week thinking, it doesn't matter whether I teach violin ever or not. I have to go and and learn that and do that. Because, you know, they literally were having blind children who were beginning to see and paralyzed children who were beginning to move Mm -hmm. and you know, mute children who were learning to speak. And, mm. and of course, it didn't look anything like school mm-hmm. because it's all about child brain development and understanding the developmental profile in the six different areas of, of human function and then uh, being able to diagnose and create treatment programs that parents can do at home to make changes in those areas. And uh, so I did. Uh, I wrote a serious letter of application. They accepted me. And so I went um, pretty much straight from Matsumoto, Japan, uh, short stop to visit parents and stuff, Good. and then Good. Uh, to Philadelphia, mm. where I had my 
start mm-hmm. to three years of training and work experience there at the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential, which is still there today, mm-hmm. IAHP.org. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, Doman's books uh, are readily available. He has since passed on, mm-hmm. uh, but the Institute uh, carries on. And uh, then there are my friends, Matthew and Carol Newell, right. who I worked with while I was in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they left uh, much after I, I left, but uh, they then uh, started their own familyhopecenter.org. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they have kind of continued and in some ways expanded and maybe even improved on the work of the institutes. Right. So if people come to you and ask for recommendations for their brain-injured children, that's where you would send them this Hope Center? Generally, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Family mm-hmm. Hope Center. They're also in the Philadelphia area. Oh, okay. So Okay. So can we define, what does that mean, a brain-injured child? I mean, when you're talking about blind children seeing and hearing and lame walking, and uh, that sounds miraculous. Yes. Well, um, it's obviously not an instantaneous change. (laughs) Um, Oftentimes, there are incremental improvements over time. Mm -hmm. But the the basic idea is that whatever your problem is, whether it's cerebral palsy or on the autism spectrum, Mm -hmm. or um, you might look at certain traumatic injuries that would cause Mm -hmm. such things as paralysis or spasticity or loss of movement in one side. Um, You can have severe um, brain-caused sensory processing problems. Mm -hmm. So uh, being blind, the problem is not in the eyes, it's in the area of the brain that would process visual information, Mm -hmm. deafness, the same thing, tactile kinesthetic sensitivity also can happen. And so these often do get diagnoses. And one of the tra- you know, long-term medical traditions that Glenn Doman and his people kind of had to fight against was that these are unfixable problems because they're brain injuries. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the best you can do is accommodate mm-hmm. that rather than okay, no, it can be fixed. Mm. But uh, Doman and his group, you know, they started up in the 50s and were, you know, publishing strongly, uh, you know, the What to Do About Your Brain Injured Child, a few other books on that side uh, in the 70s, and then I got there in the 80s. So that was kind of at the peak of interest for that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they discovered was that rather than doing inpatient program where people would bring their children and they would have their people do various sensory stimulation and motor development, language development activities, Mm -hmm. that was very limited in what you could get done. And so it was difficult to effect a change because you just need a whole lot more intensity uh, in order to change the brain fast enough. So what they discovered, kind of what Suzuki discovered, If you teach the parents, this is what you should do at home every day, Mm -hmm. then they can go and do that a whole lot more, you know, with a whole lot more time invested and a whole lot more efficiency than you could on this inpatient. 
Suzuki discovered if you teach a mother how to teach a young child to play the violin, the mom can teach the child every day. They get a lesson every day at home、mm-hmm. rather than once a week and try to remember stuff.、Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was kind of the first point of consonance、mm-hmm. uh, that we, we saw. It, for me,、uh, I began my time there, as everyone does, kind of in a boot camp situation. So they had the School for Human Development、uh, that consisted of young adults with brain injuries.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and again,、uh, everything from Down syndrome to cerebral palsy to severe autism to you know, extreme ADD, ADHD、uh, with other elements mixed in.、Mm-hmm. And so these were young adults who you know, were living on campus doing program. Basically, all day long. And so, those people who wanted to join the staff had to do six weeks minimum of basic training in the School for Human Development,、um, sleeping in the same dormitory with, assisting, eating every meal with six days a week, and then doing the full physical program with these brain injured young adults.、Mm-hmm. So, I kind of suddenly was in this world where I had to run three miles every day. I had to creep on my hands and knees one mile every day. I、wow. had to crawl on my belly one quarter mile every day and do 18 trips across a 20 foot brachiation ladder, among many other things. But that was the kind of very difficult physically part. And so you got blisters on your hands and knees. And it's like, okay, well, if you want to be part of this. Staff, you know, everyone around you has done this. Yep. You've got to experience this. So,、and、a true boot camp. It is. It was a true boot camp. And so、uh, I did that. And,、uh, well, can, and can, can we camp there just for a second? Sure. A lot of, this, a lot of these physical activities, for what, for what purpose? Sure, sure. Well, they're part of、uh, a larger set of programs. So,、mm-hmm. if you look at the development of a human being,、mm-hmm. A baby is born and it's pretty much immobile. Then it begins to push its feet and pull its hands and scoot itself across、mm-hmm. a floor in some way.、Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if there's no significant brain injury、mm-hmm. and the environment is correct or,、mm-hmm. or ideal,、uh, that baby will discover that a cross pattern motion is the most efficient way to get from here to there. Okay. Meaning they will start to move their left arm and their right leg、mm-hmm. and pull with that, pull with the arm and push with the leg simultaneously, and then move the right arm and the left leg and pull and push simultaneously and, and crawl on the belly. And that is the military definition. So if anyone's confused, crawling, you're on your belly, creeping is on your hands and knees.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, Glenn Doman was.、Uh, Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, and, and so he used the military definition <laughs> so as to have no confusion.、Mm-hmm. Now, some children don't develop that naturally.、Uh, some children will figure out, oh, if I just sit up, I can kind of pull my legs, and if the floor is smooth enough, I can, you know, scoot across the、mm-hmm. floor, kind of sitting up and get from point A to point B.、Mm-hmm. Or some children will develop a homologous crawl where they'll use. Both arms at the same time and both legs at the same time. And so that's also not 
ideal. The cross pattern motion is ideal because when the child begins to push up and move against gravity, then in order to not fall over, you have to move your right hand and your left leg at the same time. Because if you move your right hand and your right leg, now nope. you're only on one axis mm -hmm. and it's harder to keep the balance. Mm -hmm. So that's the natural progression. Mm -hmm. Again, some children do very little of that because they've developed alternative means. But scooters, rollers, there's some kids who discover all you have to do is roll yourself across the room and you get to where you want to go. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, you just change a little bit and keep rolling or, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, a homologous method. But almost all children by necessity, given the opportunity and environmentally, will get up on hands and knees and start that cross-pattern motion. Mm -hmm. Now, that is extremely important because that stage of creeping on hands and knees, it corresponds with the stage of development you know, the intense stage of development of the midbrain. Hmm. So uh, the idea is that the activity corresponds with the level of the brain. So crawling, that corresponds with lower than midbrain, right? So the pons area. And then creeping now corresponds with the midbrain development. And this is very important because it develops convergence of vision and depth perception. Hmm. Because when you're on the floor going slow you know, belly on the floor, it's hard to crash. But once you start, you know, creeping hands and knees, you're going faster, you've got to have a sense of depth and distance. Mm. And that's when that starts to develop. Mm. So you don't go crashing into stuff. And then that becomes, you know, absolutely vital once you stand up and walk and mm -hmm. run. Mm -hmm. So there's that period of uh, midbrain development that corresponds the physical activity with other neurological stages in the midbrain area. Mm -hmm. In the vision area, you see that you know pretty clearly with convergence of vision, good convergence of vision. And then, of course, uh, walking generally corresponds with cortical activity, and the cortex really starts to kind of kick in around a year old, sometimes a couple months earlier, later, and you often see the first words will happen mm -hmm. at the same time as walking mm -hmm. because these are both distinctly cortical functions. The midbrain cannot talk, mm -hmm. right? The cortex talks. And so then uh, you move from walking to running, and that is at the highest level of the mobility profile when it comes to cortical activity. So, you know, what we did with the students in the School for Human Development was they had a full primary human development program, which included uh, the creeping, the crawling, the balance development. So a lot of tumbling and rolling and things that would strengthen the balance areas of the auditory system. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a cortical development program, which included running, overhead bars, brachiation, you know, Monkey bars. Oh, right. Okay. Monkey bars. Because yeah. that does certain things to help with respiration, chest development. Mm, and mm -hmm. It's also it requires a cortical function of activity. And then we had, of course, uh, programs for intelligence, encyclopedic knowledge, and reading and math and, you know, some of those things. Although none of them looked particularly like academic. They were all very different in their orientation. And then we would do social, 
you know, social intelligence kinds of things that always happen during meals. And then we even did plays. I remember we did a little bit of the play Julius Caesar by mm. Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And we had this, this one young man whose cortical and respiratory challenges meant that he couldn't say individual words. And so he would, he would take what he wanted to say and he would smush it all into essentially one word and one breath. So if he wanted to say, may I have some more, please? It would have sounded like something. Memory. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Like all uh-huh. smushed together. Right, right, right. And uh, we're thinking, how do we get this guy in this play? Mm-hmm. And we discovered about him that he could sing individual words. Hmm. He couldn't say individual words, hmm. but he could sing individual words. So we made him the soothsayer in the play. And we got him to sing, Beware the Ides of March. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, so it was fascinating. And there were, I mean, a thousand more little stories about, you know, the different individuals. Some of them are, you know, very strong in my memory. Mm-hmm. Certainly, if you're starting in on programs of treatment of people who are, you know, past puberty into young adulthood, right. it is much, much harder to effect brain change. Mm -hmm. Uh, The younger uh, a brain is, the more malleable, Mm -hmm. the easier it is to see faster progress. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that you can't make progress. You can always make progress. Mm -hmm. What's fascinating to me is to read today about so many more of the discoveries of neuroplasticity and how much more we know about the brain now than even a couple decades ago. Sure. You say neuroplasticity. That to me sounds like neurobrain, plast- movable, uh, changeable. Yeah, changeable. So at one point, you know, a long time ago, people thought, well, if you have a traumatic injury and it kills part of your brain, right. a stroke being, yeah, you know, an obvious manifestation of that, but it could also be the result of other things. The more focal the injury, meaning the more um, limited in its location, the more obvious it becomes. Hmm. But the belief was, you know, brain cells don't regenerate, and so you can't recover that ability. Mm-hmm. And Glenn Doman began his career in physical therapy, and he's had, you know, stroke patients and, and noticed that if the injuries in the brain why am I moving the arm, mm. mm-hmm. right? If the problem is here, why am I trying to fix it not here? And so that was the beginning of how he and Dr. Delicato and a couple other people started to think, wait a minute, we're, we're considering this all wrong. If the problem is in the brain, we have to fix the brain, not move the arms and legs and hope that somehow something's going to happen. And so that became the beginning of um, the developmental profile and the idea that if you had a brain injury, you could go back to the developmental stage Mm. in that part of the brain where that happened, create optimal environmental programs as well as, you know, stimulation and mobility programs and kind of is comprehensive. And you could actually kind of train brain cells that weren't doing that or weren't doing much of anything Mm -hmm. to take over the job of the brain cells that had died. Oh, okay. And so now we're seeing even more manifestations of this and even, you know, the the possibility that we do renew 
brain cells. Mm. So, you know, anyone who tries to make a definitive statement about the brain will probably be shown to be not quite correct or maybe mm-hmm. flat out wrong mm-hmm. in a decade or two or three. Sure. Uh, but uh, Glenn and the institutes were definitely on the cutting edge of this. And uh, some of the results were, you know, spectacular. Yeah. Uh, some have, of course, been disappointing in that, you know, we, we worked so hard, you know, 12 hours a day for six years and we didn't fix this kid entirely. But I think very few people would ever say it was a waste completely. You know, maybe we were hoping we would fix every problem, but way better. You know, this child is way better than they mm-hmm. would have been. Right, right. That actually makes me think about, you know, our writing system. We'd like to believe that we can take a child who hates to write and transform them into a child who is a published author and loves to write. But the reality <laughs> is well, we can at least move them along the spectrum. So our Magalog mm-hmm. is coming out mm-hmm. soon, and I always have to write an article yeah. for the Magalog. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know the working title? I do. Because you're always curious about I am curious. Like you don't have to like it. Right, and it's all about what. What's your goal? Mm-hmm. Right, is one is is that a reasonable goal? I want mm-hmm. my kid to like writing, or is that liking it a byproduct of a more reasonable goal? So, Which he's becoming, he or she is becoming yeah. better at it. I will leave you hanging right there. Okay, well, but, I won't say anything more. But I'm good. I'm already over limit on my words. Of so. course you are. <laughs> of course you are. Well, uh, but you know, we'll finish up because I know we're we're getting close to the clock here. When I first heard about Glendoman and Suzuki. It was because Glendoman had brought a Suzuki program to his school mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. And that's really all I knew, plus their conversation about, you know, how any child could learn anything and human potential is unlimited and all this. And so I only knew about the kind of better baby side. Then when I ordered books and and went to Tokyo and watched the staff work with the brain-injured children, it blew my mind Mm -hmm. because I I had never seen that many brain-injured children in one place, Mm -hmm. you know, because we just don't see that many people Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis. And here they were, these committed parents and these awesome staff members. And it really shifted my interest from the, uh, you know, kind of the, the accelerated program side to the the compassionate mm-hmm. program side. But in short, what happened was, as Glenn and his team started to teach programs of treatment that parents could use at home with brain-injured children, they started to discover that other children in those families who did not have severe or evident brain injury at all were getting kind of an accelerated neurological growth mm. because they were doing the program right alongside with their younger siblings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, or their older sibling or whoever, the sibling that's doing, you know, the creeping and crawling and brachiation and running and tumbling and getting the bits of inf- intelligence and having the sensory stimulation. You do that same stuff with un- relatively unhurt kids. What happens? You accelerate their growth. So by the time I reached the institutes in uh, 1985, they had well established the institutes is a plural form Mm -hmm. because they have uh, the Institute for Physical Development, Physical Excellence, 
Institute for the Achievement of Physical Excellence, Institute for the Achievement of Physiological Excellence, Institute for the Achievement of Intellectual Excellence, and then they had the Evan Thomas Institute for Early Development, or early, anyway, we just called that ETI, Evan Thomas Institute. And that's where they had children who had grown up from being babies essentially with an accelerated program for neurological growth. And these kids were in a school there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was um, a school that affected me very profoundly. Um, It was providential, I'm sure. But a short time after I arrived and got through my boot camp with the um, School for Human Development, one of their two violin teachers left. Her husband was transferred across the country. And so I was able to start mm. working in the Evan Thomas Institute, uh, teaching violin to about half the kids, and then also working, uh, observing in the classrooms, seeing how they taught things like Socratic math and how they did things like drama and Shakespeare and how they still used, you know, uh, what they called bits, bits of intelligence, uh, bits of information mm. at all, with all subject matter. So I spent about half my time with the kids who were in this very very alternative kind of accelerated, super interesting, mm-hmm. um, non-age segregated school that was on the same property. And then I would go uh, work in the clinic the other half the time, uh, learning how to do evaluations and diagnoses and treat and, and write treatment plans. Mm-hmm. And we had staff meeting every Tuesday night where we would discuss every one of the kids that was in the clinic for that week. Mm-hmm. And then there would also be... Um, two-week periods where there would be intensive parent training courses. And uh, so they would not have any kids in the clinic that week. And it was it was an incredible three years. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, for me, it was so formative that I can't think about doing what I'm doing right. without operating on the foundation of that understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I would have stayed there forever. I was so happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were just some family circumstances and elements that I had to put priority. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up leaving after three years, Mm -hmm. uh, which is also probably providential because the next step in my path, you know, took me to a school and the next step took me to Canada where I learned, uh, you know, the blended soundsite program and and so we wouldn't be here today if I hadn't left Philadelphia when I did. Yes. Uh, but it was a tremendous blessing and remains to be to this right, day. Yeah. Right. Well, that was a very nice way to land the plane, except that I want to take us back up again, but we're going to have to do it next week. Oh, okay. Because I know that there are some parents listening, some grandparents who are listening, who want to know what they can do today to help their children become more healthy with their mental capacity and physical capacity. So okay. can we talk about it again next week? We, we can. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. 
Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.